You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. People give you more when you give them flexibility. They just do because they want it, they want to keep it, so they make it work. The teeny tiny little percentage of people who abuse it, I always will say, has that person been an extraordinarily high performer for a long period of time? Last week on the podcast, I promised you a really, really great guest for this week, and I am definitely not going to disappoint you. I heard Callie Yost, who is this week's guest on another podcast, and I thought, wouldn't she make a wonderful guest for my listeners? She had such wonderful insights to share all about flexible working. And this was a podcast that was recorded in pre-COVID times. So I thought it would be especially pertinent to hear what she had to say, given all of the changes that have happened in the world since then. So a really, really great episode for you today. For more than two decades, Callie has been leading authority on high-performance work flexibility. She is a visionary workplace futurist, strategist and author. She's also the founder and CEO of the Flex Strategy Group, a solutions company helping organizations unlock performance and engagement by reimagining how, when and where work is done. Called one of the most sophisticated thinkers on the transformation of work by the New York Times, Yoast approaches flexible work transformation as a strategic business imperative. Her work is rooted in original research on the skills individuals need to leverage flexibility and take control of their work-life fit in order to do their jobs and manage their lives. She coined and codified her concepts on the flexible future of work in the empowering book, Tweak It, Make What Matters to You Happen Every Day, and the critically acclaimed Work Plus Life, Finding the Fit That's Right for You. Yost graduated with honours from Columbia Business School, where she's noted as an alumnus changing the world. In 2018, she was named one of the global management thinkers on the radar by Thinkers 50. She has been cited as one of Forbes 40 women to watch over 40. You will definitely see me totally agreeing with a lot of what she has to say based on original research and this concept of fit. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I'm big into those two things in particular. Please do stay tuned till the end where I will wrap up some of the key points that we discuss during the podcast with some of the key takeaways that you can have as a result of listening and some of the actions that you can take as a result of listening to this podcast. I would also absolutely love if you would get involved in the conversation across any social media channel, but typically mostly on LinkedIn is where I'm hanging out these days. So if you want to connect with me there, please do. Welcome, Callie, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have you here as my guest today. I heard you on a podcast probably six or seven months ago at this stage. Um, I won't say that the pandemic was new. It, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't relatively new at that stage. Um, and, and you were talking about remote working and what that actually means. And I thought, wouldn't that make for an absolutely great conversation for my listeners? So you're so welcome to the podcast today. Oh, Thank you, Aoife. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Brilliant. Would you like to give uh, listeners a little bit of a flavor of your background and how you got to where you are? So I am Callie Williams-Yost. I'm the CEO and founder of the Flex Strategy Group. We are a solutions company that helps that helps leaders reimagine how, when, and where work is done. And I have been on a mission for the last 25 years to unlock the potential of organizations and people by helping them execute flexibility in a way that works for the business and for people. So I've been doing this for a very, very long time. I got into it I originally was a banker when I first got out of college. I went through a bank manager training program. And when you do that, you become a very junior manager very quickly. So I was kind of in training with a group of bankers who were older than I was. I was married, but I didn't have any kids. And um, I just saw that the lack of flexibility in work was unnecessarily causing the bankers who worked with me to have to quit. And it made our business vulnerable. I didn't, I mean, at the time, 
again, I didn't have kids. Like I didn't quite understand the like personal part of it, but I was just obsessed with the fact that I need to keep these people because if they leave, then I got to figure out how to cover all these accounts. All they want is like one day home or a little bit fewer hours. And my customers didn't care. I'm like, they just wanted their banker. So I was, I just thought this made so much sense. Yeah, and it does. This is the naivete of youth, right? I was probably 28. I had no idea. And um, went to my management and just they didn't even know what I was talking about because there wasn't even mobile phones, laptops, email. You know, it was just crazy. So I realized that this was actually something people were starting to look at and talk about. And so I just decided, you know what? this is the future and I'm going to go and be part of this. And so I quit. I went to Columbia Business School. I walked in the doors of Columbia Business School in 1993 saying I'm going to be a work flexibility strategist. Yeah. Wow. And uh, yeah, it all worked out. And um, I have since then been very fortunate to have seen all the phases, all the changes in this field and um, have learned what works has I've learned what doesn't work. And probably for the last 10 years, I've had the privilege of really working with forward-thinking leaders who saw what was coming, who got it, who recognized that they needed to actually look at flexibility as a way of operating their organizations. It wasn't just a policy. It wasn't just a program. So when the pandemic hit, those organizations pivoted really quickly um, because flexibility was just how they ran their business. Um, so now I'm, I'm very committed to help, to use that experience now help leaders who really on the other side of this are going to have to continue to make flexibility just the way they operate every day, help them navigate what really is a complex system of change. This is, there are a lot of pieces to this and, um, I feel very fortunate that I understand what those pieces are and I can help organizations navigate through that because what makes me excited and happier at work, people ask me, how do you do this for 25 years and still get so excited about it? Like, yeah, yeah. I live for the spark when a leader in an organization understands that this is just not a hassle. Actually, if we do this right, we, our business is better. Our people are better. And wow, isn't Mm. that great? And it just starts a whole loop of ongoing innovation and experimentation that um, really does take the business to the next level. Um, So I'm excited for the potential on the other side of the pandemic. I think we have to get through this horrible situation. But on the other side, there really is so much we can learn and leverage to even be better. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, there is so much to dive into just based on what you said there. I love this concept of the forward thinking leaders. And I have maybe a bit of a tough question for you now that like what what makes a leader forward thinking? Like, have you noticed any patterns? How are they similar? How are they different to other leaders? Well, you know, somebody asked me this recently. I'm really glad they asked me. So I have a good answer for you because I hadn't really thought about it. I'm like, well, what made them so different? And really what it was is they saw this this was critical for their business. Okay. So they understood that if they were not flexible and the way work was being done, they were not going to get talent. So they already saw that they were either losing talent or they were not getting the talent they wanted because they were not being able to allow people to determine how and where they worked best. And more importantly, and this is the difference pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, for those forward-thinking leaders, they saw it as a differentiator for them. They knew if they offered it, they got the people and they could often get them for less money because people found Mm. so much value in that. But now post-pandemic, I actually believe flexibility is going to just be table stakes. Like if you don't have it, it's it's really a game. You aren't even in the running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the difference. So it was talent. It was usually um, space. Uh, optimizing space, there was a real understanding that if they looked at their true badge data, like where people were actually using workspaces, um, they weren't in the office every day. They were already working remotely. So how do you make that intentional? And then how do you build workspaces so that the collaborative work that tended to happen on site was really effective? And then put the technology in place that would allow for better communication and coordination um, across different workspaces and places. 
Um, they just innately understood that their businesses were transforming. They were digitizing. They needed people to think and work differently. So just in general, they made their operating model um, yeah. dynamic. So that's the difference is the forward thinking leaders just understood we're going here and I need to, I need to hop on that wagon. Um, I think there were leaders beforehand who kind of got it, but it wasn't imperative enough that they wanted to go through mm-hmm. what they saw as kind of the hassle of making it a reality. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit and man, everyone was thrown into pilot. You had no exactly. choice. And so now I think it's really an interesting period where you are, if you are a leader, are you going to now take this moment to go where you needed to go anyway? Or are you going to try to go back? And that's, I, I want to try to help as many leaders as possible to just say, no, let's keep going yeah. and uh, even get to a better place. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I know. I love, I love that approach. And I suppose I'd love to understand more about what happened on in uh, here in Ireland. It was the 12th of March. They made an announcement. I think at, at the time it was like two weeks and we'll flatten the curve. And I think a lot of people were, were thinking, oh, wow, two weeks, that's a long time to be in lockdown. And then and now here we are over a year later and it's still going on in and out of lockdown. Um what what kind of what were the first things that happened? I'm sure you were super busy at that time with people phoning you up saying, how do I how do I do this? Um, well, I think initially there was to your point, OK, it's only going to be two weeks. Let's just like see what we can figure out for these next two. Right. Weeks and we'll come back. OK, then it was like everyone's on vacation for yeah, the next two weeks. Then it was like a month or two. And then all of a sudden it was, okay, so how, how do we optimize this? Now, I will say the thing that was really important is that I just kept emphasizing, stick with what you have. Like there were all these pushes to sort of adopt new technology and, you know, just stick with the technology you have and master that. And then just try to be really clear about what is expected of people and now be very um, collaborative about expectations around ex- accessibility and responsiveness. Like just start with those main things, being clear about priorities, being coordinate accessibility and responsiveness expectations and leverage the technology you have. Try to learn that. Just stick with those basics. Keep it simple. Okay. And I think that's where a lot of organizations um, started. I think it was just this like rapid kind of response and just diving in and doing it and getting rid of, I have one client who delivered a training to their customers. Usually it takes like months to deliver a training, right? Cause their customers were under a lot of pressure. So they, they actually executed a whole training curriculum in like two weeks during this wow. time because they got rid of all of the layers and the, and the approvals and the, the, so, you know, it really was a remarkable period of innovation and change and teamwork and collaboration. And so I think what happened was they, they kind of just survived. Right. And then maybe six months ago, there was sort of this shift into kind of sustaining just kind of continuing to sustain where we are. Mm. And what I think now organizations are starting to do is say, okay, how do we want to evolve from all this? What are we going to, yeah. how are we going to rebuild on the other side? So, um, you know, it forced a change that a lot of organizations and leaders thought could not happen. Yes, absolutely. And now yeah. they see it can. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go with that. Yeah. Before we kind of talk about the future and what that might look like, I'd love to understand more about the barriers that you perceive exist, which may also impact on how we look into the future. So, you know, I think the barriers that still exist are a couple of things. One, not everybody can work remotely. Okay. So we keep talking about this, like it's a big remote work conversation Yeah, and it really is a flexible work conversation. So we, you have to kind of tie it all together. You have to tie together the flexibility that the people who had to basically come on site put in place. So people who still worked on site, they oftentimes adjusted their schedules. They did flexible teaming. They put in, um, 
you know, space um, management systems so that they could manage distance across themselves. I mean, all of this is flexibility. It really is. So how do you look at what happened on site and see that as part of the conversation? How do you look at remote work, but then understand that this hybrid model is really going to still allow people to be on site? Like this fear about how we're going to maintain culture and how we're going to coordinate with each other. It really is just a matter of when people are going to be on site, and that is what most people are telling you they want to do is to have some degree of on site presence. How are you leveraging that time? How are you being super intentional about bringing Mm -hmm. people together? And for those that may be virtual while some people are on site, how do you create effective meeting culture? What technology do you need? How do you have space? How do you have to configure the space so that the virtual people and the onsite people are able to integrate effectively? And then I think some of the barriers are, what do we do with this small percentage? And I estimate it's going to end up being maybe 10 to 15% of the workforce may be full-time remote. For a variety of reasons, you may have chosen to hire that person and not make and not have them move. You may have people who their jobs have just, it's become clear their jobs can be done full-time remote and you can save money. I have a client who totally resisted their call center going remote. Everybody was on site in a super expensive building in the middle of a city. Okay. Yeah. Now this entire call center has worked remotely very well. In fact, even better during the pandemic. So they're going full-time remote. Okay, these people are not coming back on site in this super expensive downtown building. So how do you then manage them within within this fully coordinated, flexible, dynamic um, organization? So the barriers really are getting past this kind of remote, 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 myopic, like, you know, (laughs) like right now, yes, but... And then understanding that the hybrid model still will allow all a lot of the on-site presence that you're worried about losing. So just now start thinking about how you're going to use that. And this full-time remote group, how do you make sure you're integrating that into this these other elements of your workplace? And once you do that, um, you can begin to see all the elements that have to align in order to, to execute that, that new model. Yeah, I mean, so many, so many different elements. And and I know before we kind of started recording and and you were wondering what what would be interesting to cover today, this hybrid working model, I think, is super interesting about, you know, to me, that is the future. And you're so right in saying it's everyone perceives this as remote working, but actually what we've been doing at the moment is not really real remote working. It's it's uh, homeschooling and it's you, we can't see our friends and, you know, it's, it's a very, very different scenario than what a normal r- remote working setup would be. So now that we've, we've kind of talked about some of the barriers, what would you see as the opportunities then for organisations? So, um, I mean, I don't want to put any timelines on it, but you know, maybe let's talk about 2022 so that we're not kind of bringing it too far forward. But let's, let's hope and let's assume that by 2022, that things, and I, I, I hate using the word back to normal, but that things will, will resume and, um, you know, we, we will have the option at least to go back to working in offices. Mm-hmm. So I think there are two phases to look at this in, right? The phase that we're in at least over here, a little bit, and it's still not very much, but a tiny little bit um, beginning that recalibration back into workspace. And that's going to be a bumpy ride, okay? That is going to be, right now, now they're thinking about inviting, quote unquote, air quotes, inviting people who have been vaccinated back into the workspace. Um, Again, that's going to still be really awkward. Like you're going to have to wear masks, still socially distant. Like it's not going to be the most effective way of working for a lot of people. So I'm not sure how many people are going to take their employers up on that invitation to come back if they're vaccinated. Um, So that is the beginning. I think that recalibration is going to continue through the end of the year where it's going to be more and more and more and more can go back in um, safely. So let's say to your point, 
that kind of recalibration period extends to 2022. And then we're on the other side of it. And I'm with you. I don't like going back to normal. It's really going to be this new way of working. Yeah. You really embrace, like you can truly dive in and say, okay, what is this going to look like? How are we going to make this happen? Okay. Without the constraints of safety being so much of a concern. Um, so when that happens now, it's important to remember this has already happened. Like there were already organizations doing this pre-pandemic. So I am now yeah. telling you what can happen from experience because I've seen yeah. it. Okay. And I think that's also super duper important to emphasize for people. This is not new. This was yeah. happening. Okay. Now to varying <laughs> degrees in organizations, it wasn't very strategically intentional in most organizations, but there was already a lot of organic flexibility going on. Our research, and I see it's how you asked the question, our research for years has shown almost a third of the workforce said they do most of their work from a remote location, not on site. That's a lot of people, okay? And, Mm -hmm. you know, so everybody wasn't sitting together all the time every day. Now, the organizations that did this intentionally pre-pandemic chose to reimagine work, chose to make flexibility part of their operating model. Here's some of the things that happened. Now, I'm going to go on and on for literally a couple minutes here, but it truly, truly, (laughs) this is the way it can all play out, okay? Yeah. People are more productive. Why? Why are they more productive? Well, it's pretty easy because they're able, they're trained to think through what are they trying to get done and then how, when, and where do they do it best? So if they've got a report they have to focus on, they're going to work remotely and focus on that and get it done so that when they're in the office, they're not being distracted by everybody trying to talk to them and having meetings that they can't get their focused work done, right? And when they're in the office, they're being super intentional about meeting with the people they have to meet with in order to get their jobs done. So productivity goes up, collaboration goes up, because again, you have to be more intentional with all the people you work with. You're not just walking in the door at the beginning of the day and being like, oh yeah, hey Sam, we should meet. You know, it's like, no, I've contacted Sam, we are meeting and there's, and Sam has contacted me and I'm being thoughtful about who I have to collaborate with in order to make this succeed. There is a much higher degree of leveraging technology. People, I cannot tell you the underutilization of technology that was happening in organizations pre-pandemic. And now there is such a learning curve. People have moved up, but I still think there's a degree of really figuring out now how to use the tools in a hybrid model, right? That's the next application. Leveraging workspaces. I think workspace now really will have to be designed to support this new way of working. So on-site spaces will have to be set up. And I don't mean just like putting big long desks in and everybody bringing their laptop. I mean, really thoughtfully thought set up to support collaboration that you want to have happen when people are together in the workplace you have innovation because you can't work flexibly without just naturally asking the question, why are we doing things this way? I mean, I can can tell you more examples in organizations where a stupid process would have been going on forever. And then all of a sudden you're working flexibly and it's like, wait, why can't we just digitize this? Or why can't we just, that's what you're looking for. You want your organizations to be innovating. You want them to be experimenting with new ways of working, right? And that prompts it. People are more engaged because they have to be. They are, and study after study after study after study has proven this. People give you more when you give them flexibility. They do. They just do because they want it. They want to keep it. So they make it work. The teeny tiny little percentage of people who abuse it, which is what we tend to worry about, people who are going to abuse it. Okay. I always will say, has that port, has that person been an extraordinarily high performer for a long period of time? <laughs> they're like, no, they're a performance problem. It's like, okay, so that's not the flexibility. Okay, that's yeah. the person. And then I like to say when when flex when you execute flexibility, it's like the the ocean goes out. And all of a sudden you see all the stuff at the bottom of the sea that you hadn't seen before. <laughs> like you see the people you thought were really working hard. You're like, wait a minute, they were just actually showing up every day and sitting in a seat. You know, they actually aren't doing much. Yeah. Or you see the person who isn't performing well, just they, they flounder because they just don't have the competencies to be able to be effective in this new way of working. So again, it's the, but the, but the good people, which are most of the people, they give you more. 
And then, yeah, again, I'm not going to keep going on, but it, I could, I could, tr- oh, and then we're not even talking about operational resilience, right? So pandemic hits, you got flexibility as part of your operating model. You're pivoting really quickly versus yeah. people who were scrambling. And, you know, lots of people, including Bill Gates, have said, this is not our last pandemic. Okay. Mm. I mean, we really all have to wake up to the fact that this might be part of our global warming world that we live in. So you've got to be ready to like make the shift and that's operational resilience. And then not, again, I'll go back to the talent thing. You just get and keep good people if they have flexibility because you're good people. They've got to have all that replicated wherever they're going to go. And if you, they have it where you are, they're going to think long and hard about leaving you. And you really can attract terrific people because now post-pandemic, it's going to be an expectation. So if you're offering it, you have that advantage. It allows you to, it allows you to retain people who would otherwise retire. I think this is going to be a big deal. I think you're going to have more and more older workers getting towards retirement, not wanting to retire fully, but you're going to want to keep their expertise you're going to be able to retain that talent pool as well. You'll be able to source talent beyond your geographic region. And then I don't mean to put this last because it's my, it's really close to my heart. So I don't like to lead with it because then we we don't think of these other things, but it really does help people fit their work and life together. And it is the smallest thing that means so much to people, being able to have dinner with their children, being able to go to the gym, being able to... Um, you know, just go for a walk with their dog or get their hair cut. And all of those things fitting work and life together are meaningful. And um, I think before the pandemic, we thought work and life were, di- were two things. They didn't, you didn't have to worry about life out of work because that's life and this is work. And, but we now know it's all part of the same thing. And that's one of the th- And again, I want to emphasize, I only bring that up last because if I were to bring that up first, then we wouldn't hear all these other things that are awesome. Okay. But that's a big deal. And people in the pandemic were really struggling with boundaries because we didn't put that in place. We didn't consistent, we didn't train people to know how to be intentional about how their work and life fit together. And that's what I I wrote my, both of my books on is the skills that individuals need to partner with their employers to fit their work and life together day to day in a flexible dynamic way, but then also when they need a more formal plan, how to put that together. And when that partnership happens, that shared leadership happens, it's really, really powerful for both the organization and the individual. So I'm going to stop there, but I can (laughs) you, I can go on and on and on. If you'd like to know more about what I can do for your business, please head over to my website, happieratwork.ie, where I have more details on the services that I offer. I offer various different types of things for organizations like yours. I offer speaking, coaching, consulting, with a huge focus on data and analytics and how to use data to make better people decisions. I have a couple of ongoing public projects at the moment in relation to researching employee well-being, first-time managers, and I will be making those results publicly available as well. So if you would like to get access to that, head on over to my website. So much to dive into. There's a few points that I want to pick up on um, in particular. And if we kind of touch on those, you mentioned about leveraging technology and that we can actually use it more, better or more effectively. Uh, I'd love to get some tips. You know, what what other tools could we use or is that very unique for each individual organization? So here's what I think every organization should do. I think there's too much technology a lot of times going on. I think there's not an organization of it. I think there's messages happening in a million places and haven't landed on your video conferencing system. And so some people are using Teams, some people are using Zoom. I think, I think first we have to just decide, I think first there's to be an inventory of technology. I think there has to be a clarification of all of the various capabilities of these technologies. Okay. And then I think there has to be an organizational prioritization of what we are using to do what, right? Yeah. So, you know, email could be used very specifically, 
Personally, I think organizations oftentimes tell me they like and use email because it's a, um, it's a way to archive things. You archive email. So a record of, um, of a transaction or a record of a conversation that is officially archivable, right? Yeah. Then more- I'm, like, I'm really starting to hate email. I know. <laughs> I have to admit. If you want to archive something, there are other tools and better tools that you can use in order to do that. Exactly. But that's what they say. Okay. So yeah. it's more of an official <laughs> way to archive a, a um, string of a conversation, right? So let's put email over there. We can all talk about, right? So then <laughs> we have, um, you know, apps like Slack, right? Which yeah. we love, but is that the optimal way to have um, a synchronous conversation? I, I, these asynchronous and synchronous words, I think are so complicated for people. It's like, okay, a conversation where I need you to get back to me right away and a conversation where it doesn't matter, okay? Yeah. Synchronous versus synchronous. Um. You know, I think there are tools like Slack where that might be more of a rapid response kind of platform that you would be on, whereas maybe Teams is something where you put a message in and people don't have to get back to you right away and they can review it when they have the time and respond to it and add to it. And, you know, so again, it's it's um, it's picking a lane, right? And asking yourselves, how do we communicate? What do we have to do? Um, and then matching the technology to um, to that system. I mean, to that communication need. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some? Then there's, then there's the technology that's very specific to a particular industry. But I would say those are just the you know there's sort of the work technology and yeah. there's the communication coordination technology. And I find work technologies tend to be very specific to a business, and so that doesn't have as much um, overlap to it. And um, it's more these communication and collaboration technologies that I think we're still trying to figure out. Yeah. And how to optimize them, essentially. I'm curious, what do you see as the better way to archive? Uh, well, I was thinking Slack, actually, not that I've used it. And I tr- I'll be, you know, full disclosure here. I tried to get onto Slack yesterday and it, it just oh, it was such a nightmare because it, they wanted to send me an email, but I don't have my work emails on my phone. And if I wanted to use Slack on my phone, I had to have, oh, it was just, and then they kept sending emails saying, oh, it looks like you're trying to log in from a new device. And I, oh, I was like, oh God. Yeah. Anyway, I'm on it now. I, I don't fully understand how it works, but I get that other people use it for that stuff. So that's kind of why I would say Slack as opposed to having a particular way of doing things myself. For me, I would use Google Drive and Microsoft yeah. um, OneNote and I use Microsoft, uh, what do they call it? OneDrive as well to archive everything. But again, that's, you know, if you have a bigger team, then maybe that's not ideal to use those kind of tools either. Yeah, I don't think we use like SharePoint, right, in, in Microsoft. You can really pull that together pretty interestingly. Like you can arc, you can archive your conversations in email. You can have your team chats. You can have your shared documents in there. You can have yeah, but people just don't know how to how to utilize it or yeah, right? optimize it. Right. Yeah, that's what I yeah. think the next step is with all this. Is we kind of have to step back and say, all right, what makes sense? <laughs> yeah, but actually having the breathing space to take that step back and review what you're doing rather than just we went into pandemic and we totally kind of ran around and we cobbled things together. Um something else that you mentioned was uh, competencies. So some people obviously there are some people who exactly as you said they haven't really been performing but you didn't know because they were showing up to work every day and they were sitting there. But there's other people then who maybe flounder in this a remote or hybrid working environment, what are the kind of competencies that that organizations should be looking out for if they want to hire someone who who will perform well while they're working working in a flexible environment? All right. So then again, I, I tend to break things down into two different categories. So <laughs> the first category are the naturals. 
And I've met okay. people over the years. They always fascinate me. My second book, Tweak It, is my study of the work-life fit naturals. These are the individuals that fit work and life together without even thinking twice about it. And everybody else is floundering. And I thought they are just, they are these magical beings. I did not know what they do. So I started studying them thinking it was super complicated and it really isn't. So that's in my book. If you want to read it, I just, I, I uh, distilled all their secrets down into a system that you can follow. And it's, it's easy. Brilliant. Anyway, so they do that naturally. And then there are managers who just naturally manage in a flexible, dynamic way. They do not need to be trained. It's just they figured it out. Okay. Then there are the second group, which is most of us, which are people who have no idea how to intentionally and flexibly fit their work and life together. And the Mm -hmm. managers who have no idea how to lead a flexible work team. And it's not because they can't learn. It's just they just don't intuitively know it and they have to be trained. Okay. That's the simple thing. And they're good performers. They just have to be trained. Okay. So going forward, the competencies, you don't want to just, you don't want to, you don't want to eliminate a good performer who doesn't necessarily have the competencies because they can be trained. So if you have training in your organization that lays out the competencies, then that takes care of it. So I'm going to tell you what the competencies are, but it's very important to understand many people will not have them, but can be learned. They can learn them. Yeah. And a very rare group of people just have symbiotically figured this out. And so you yeah. don't want to eliminate people because they seem to be struggling a little bit, train them. If they still can't get it together, then that could be something. Okay. Yeah. So here are the competencies that and I'm just these are high level. They're they're more, but I'll just give you high level. Okay. So yeah. I'm gonna start with the individual. Okay, because we always start with the poor manager. And managers are <laughs> cannot figure out every single iteration, machination of how when and pe- where people are gonna work. They can't. That's not their job. Okay. What they need to do is just be very clear with their people what are the priorities that we are trying to achieve. Okay. Mm. Give them the support they need, give them the the guidance they need to achieve those priorities. But then it's the individual that has to then decide, given what I am tasked to do, how, when, and where do I do that best within the guardrails that my organization has set for me? Okay. And they decide. Then they coord- They then have to be good at reaching out and coordinating with their team and saying, based upon what we now collectively have to do, here's what I'm thinking I'm going to do. Does that work for you? And the team then needs to be trained to coordinate all that together. They have to be ongoingly, in an ongoing way, coordinating expectations around accessibility and responsiveness, right? They have to be trained on how to recalibrate how they're working as a team based upon what it is they're trying to get done. And then managers just have to be really good managers. Like you have to have the basics of good management down, which we don't train managers oftentimes in those good basics. Again, setting clear goals and expectations, giving people um, growth opportunities in their job, holding people accountable, giving them the resources they need. Like all those things are very important. But then on top of that, you have to know how to lead a flexible work team. So what that means is, is that you know how to motivate across different platforms. You, it really, a lot of this is communication platform management and knowing how to make sure you're being in touch with people face-to-face when they are going to be with you and being able to con- connect with people virtually and knowing how to um, create moments where you are building team camaraderie across different modes of communication and coordination. So a lot of this is... Um, just an add-on to those basics of being just a a functioning, effective day-to-day manager. Then at the same time, managers need to learn how to be open to experimenting with new ways of working. And that's just a mindset of just being open to growth and um, testing things out. And, um, you know, you can be trained to do that. You can be rewarded for doing that. And then the next one is you recalibrate 
as realities change. You know how to recognize that realities are shifted within your business or, or a task that your group has to, has to achieve. And you know how to then say, okay, we got to mix this up. Like we've got to now switch around how we're doing things. So taking all that together, you have individuals playing their roles, teams playing their roles and managers playing their role. All of that is coordinated together in a culture of what I call shared leadership. And that culture of shared leadership is what captures or leverages the technology, the workspace, the time, um, and executes the priorities of the business. So those are the competencies in a really high level nutshell. And again, some people have those in a very natural way. They just were born that way, but that's not everybody. Okay. That's most mm. people not. So yeah. you really as an organization now have to say, these are competencies we have to train on and yeah. we've got to give people the skills to do this well. And that's why people are struggling right now in the pandemic. We got thrown into pilot without any training, any preparation. So the, on the other side of this, this is one of the big pieces that can make a huge difference in the next phase of all of it. Yeah, is actually train people. And even those people who are maybe a bit reluctant to stay, because I know there are some people who are who have not really had a pleasant experience of working from home, but but maybe it's because they haven't had the correct training and they're exactly as you described, the kind of they're a little bit floundering because they don't really know how to manage themselves when they're working remotely, you know, and, and, and they need to get the skills. Well, I think the, your point, I want to just re-emphasize something you said earlier, which is really true, which is this is not the normal remote work experience yeah. either. Hmm. Um, you know, you have people, parents with kids that are still home, no childcare, you know, it, it, there's, there have three people in the same house trying to work remotely at the same yeah. time. Um, you know, I do think there are still some, um, best practices that you can test out now, but it's truly going to become even more important. Again, once you're past this initial recalibration phase and you're embracing this new way of working, you just really are going to have to train people to flex across space, place, and time effectively. You, you used a, a very deliberate word throughout the conversation, which was intentional. And I really, really liked that. I, I picked up on it. You know, it, it's about making these interactions very intentional and if you're going into the office, it's to see a specific person, to collaborate with a a specific team, whatever that might be. Something else that you mentioned as well, and this has come up on the podcast quite a bit, this concept. Initially, we spoke about work-life balance. Then we, we spoke about work-life integration, work-life blend, work-life harmony. And more recently, it's been referred to as life harmony. Because let's face it, it's not work and life. And exactly as you alluded to earlier, it's we've realized that it's just one great big thing. And I I read something recently that said going forward, hopefully this will be the case, that we've seen into people's homes and yeah. we've shown a lot more empathy in our interactions with people, genuinely asking how they are and how their week is going and all of that kind of stuff. And hopefully that will continue when we do go back to whatever this this new situation is going to be. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to to say, yeah, this concept of, I, I like the term you use, fit. So like fitting work and life together and, and how to how to do that essentially. So just another term to add to the lexicon of, of the different ways to describe. And really it is just, it's one thing and it's life. Well, do you want to hear the story where that came from? I'd love to so, hear it. It's a great story. Okay. So, uh, you know, people think it's some, it really does. It came from a place of just frustration for me. So remember, I've been doing this forever. So I'm going to tell you this was 20 three years ago, because I was pregnant with my first child. Okay. That, yeah. I remember being super pregnant when this happened. So I was in the office of a senior leader at a global bank and we were doing early days of flexibility. Right. And I was trying to explain to him how, when you give your people the flexibility to balance their work and life, they give you more. And there was research that was backing all this up even back then, mm. but okay. And it was funny 
I could tell the minute I said the B word, he just, I lost him. And that was always yeah. what happened. The minute I said it <laughs> in front of a leader, they were just pleasant, but I could tell they were just waiting for me to get out of their office. Right. Yeah. So it happened again. And I was like, all right, I am going to get him to understand this. Cause I am telling you. So I just started going on and I was throwing out research and all this stuff. He goes, okay. He, he finally stopped me. He goes, okay, okay, okay. Hey, listen, um, you're working hard right now. So I just want to tell you, <laughs> he goes, every time you say that balance word, all I hear is work less. Okay. That's all I hear. And Interesting. Um, we have got so much work to do here that there is no way that I am going to support something where I'm basically telling all my people to work less. I'm sorry. Maybe that's what we're doing with all this, but I can't support something like that. Mm. So all of a sudden out of nowhere, I hear myself say, it's not about working less. It's about fitting work and life together so that you are able to be your best on and off the job. And he goes, oh, okay, I get it. And all of a sudden he starts riffing on, yeah, like I fit my work and life together, but I come in early on Tuesdays to play squash with my friend. And then I leave on this time and I go home early to catch my son's soccer game. And then I travel. So I'm working remotely when I travel. And he was, and then there's somebody on my team who's going back to get their degree at night and that's their fit. And then he went on with like for five yeah. people to work for him. And I'm thinking to myself, what just happened? Okay. Like yeah. something very different just happened. And I really had yeah. to like rewind the tape in my head. And it was this word fit, work-life fit. Because what happened yeah. was nobody's wrong. Everybody has a different work-life fit. I have never heard the same work-life fit twice in all of my years doing this, this work. Never. And because realities are always changing, right? And my, my realities are completely unique from your realities. And what mm-hmm. it does is it allows everybody to be part of the same conversation, right? So this guy who clearly worked all the time, right, could have his work-life fit, but also honor the fact that other people in his department have a different one. And yeah. how do we bring all those realities together in a way that works for the business and for each individual, right? And so... The reason this is becoming even more important and where terms like work-life integration to me are the way to describe the reality, but not the solution. Because for many people, work-life integration is the problem. Like they need the boundaries, right? There are people, and there's research that supports this. It's just not me saying this, okay? There are integrators, there are separators, there are people who like to put it all together, but then separate it. And so you have to find a way to talk about it so that it honors all those different preferences, right? So when you say, hey, kids, we're going for work-life integration, you lose half the people who want to separate it all. They're like, that's not going to work for me. (laughs) And so, and I think things like harmony and that's wonder, that's the state that you should achieve from but you've got to actively be managing that. And that's yeah. get to harmony. You got to be fitting your work and life together in a way that works for you and your job. So yeah. that's where work-life fit comes from, but it is proven to be just that little switch. And this is why it's also important. Balance does not exist. Yes, I totally 100% agree. <laughs> you, you only talk about what you don't have. Okay, I don't have balance. I do not have balance. I cannot mm. find balance. <laughs> I, I've never met anyone who said I have such a great balance. <laughs> I know, right? And so you can't get to solution from a place of a deficit, right? So what work life fit does is it immediately switches you from what you don't have to what you could have, and you move from problem to solution much more efficiently and effectively. So that's the story of work life fit. I am. Um, particularly interested in that term because I did my master's research last year and long time podcast listeners will know the story of this. Um, But I I researched person environment fit and yeah, I'm hugely interested in this concept of fit and fitting in at work and what drives that sense of fit. And this is specific to work as opposed to work life fit. But this is, I mean, this this is music to my ears and I'm going to go and do 
do some research on that because I'm yeah, it's all kind of slotting together nicely. Um, but one of the key drivers of that sense of fit and belonging in work was autonomy, the our satisfaction of the need for autonomy, of which flexibility is a huge driver. So it sort of all ties in very, very nicely for me, um, given that I have done that research, that background. So yeah, yeah very brilliant. Yes, that's great. And one of the other powerful things that I discovered, which is why then I wrote Tweak It, right? So the first book I wrote was about the formal plan, like the formal yeah. reset, like, oh, I got to formally reset my work-life fit. I got to change officially. I'm working remotely two days a week or officially I'm changing my hours or officially. Yeah because I thought that's what people needed help with. Right. So I go out, promote this book and people are like, Oh, that's great. Um, but I can't even, you know, go see my friend or I can't, and it, I realized it with these really small things that people wanted. It was just these, yeah. these little tweaks that small shifts in how, when, and where you're working based upon what it is you're trying to get done. And so that's when I started studying the naturals and saying, what are they doing that they really is true that it's the smallest things that mean the biggest difference to people and that flexibility people want, you know, leaders, I think pre pandemic, at least were just thought it was like this big, crazy change. People wanted it. I'm like, man, I'm going to tell you right now, it's just being able to come in like 15 minutes later in the morning because you want to go to yoga class or you just want to take a, you know, an extra half hour to walk at lunch, you know, that is the kind of, that's the kind of flexibility people are, that's what they're looking for. And um, so it, it, you realize if it's that small, then the return you get from supporting that is really, um, it's really important and powerful. And now that we're even thinking about intentionally creating these hybrid models, imagine if people are trained to learn how to capture that and use it. All they're going to be able to do better and and more effectively at work, but then also in their personal lives too, and how much that will benefit everybody. It's really exciting. Yeah, no, no arguments from me whatsoever. Love this concept. I know. know. So the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, Callie, what makes you happier at work? And you kind of touched on it earlier, but I'd love you to kind of bring a synopsis to it. So what makes me happier at work? Okay, as you can already tell, I love what I do. So I can't get actually much happier at work. What would make me happier at work is when I, I told you, it's really the spark, is when I get another leader or um, am able to work with another person to help them understand how they shouldn't fear flexibility, they should really embrace it with a with strategic, thoughtful intention. Again, that word. Um, what can come out of it? And it's not going to be perfect. You know, I, you know, it's not a nirvana situation, but not being flexible is much worse than trying to put the, the, the parameters and guardrails in place that do allow work to get done in a creative, flexible way. That makes me happier when I see somebody get the lights go off and see, oh, you know what? that is true. I get it. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and if people want to reach out, if they want to connect and um, find out more about what you do, feel free to, to talk about your books as well. Okay. So I have two books, which are, is Work Plus Life, Finding the Fit That's Right for You and Tweak It, Make What Matters Happen to You Every Day. Work, work, life, work Plus Life is the formal plan how-to and yeah. Tweak It is the day-to-day informal flexibility how-to. So to take them together, you got the Tweaks and Resets Handbook for individual employees, individuals on your own, but even employees, yeah. the skills they need to be effective in a flexible work environment. Um, in terms of connecting, go to our website, flexstrategygroup.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. You can connect to me there. Twitter, I'm on Twitter. Um, I may dive into, um, oh gosh, what's that new one? Clubhouse. I, I Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm debating. <laughs> I'm yeah, there. Are you on there? <laughs> I went in recently with a friend who was presenting and I thought I could just watch and I didn't realize they know you're in the room. So they call me up to the stage and I didn't even <laughs> my phone, my microphone. I was like, Oh goodness. Okay. So now I've done that. So I feel like I could be on, on clubhouse. You can go again. I can go again. <laughs> yeah. So that's how we can connect. And I look forward to doing so. 
Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm I'm uh, conscious that we've been talking for quite a long time, but I I genuinely could continue this conversation for hours. Um, I'm I'm seeing a lot of synergies, a lot of synchronicities, and, and things like that in the conversation. So really, really appreciate your time today. Thank well, you so much. Thank you. It was my pleasure, and my goal is to get to Ireland and to to see everybody in person. Whenever we can. Right. <laughs> this is it, isn't it? So hope soon. Yeah. Stay safe and healthy. Before I get to wrapping up this episode by summarising all of the key points, I just wanted to let you know again, I would love to know what you think of some of the concepts that were raised during this episode. So do get involved in the conversation on social media. As I mentioned already, LinkedIn really is the place to hang out if you want to search for Happier at Work or search for me, Aoife O'Brien, A-O-I-F-E-O apostrophe B-R-I-E-N. What a conversation we had. I took so many notes from that and it was so interesting to hear the various different perspectives. So I'm going to start, first of all, with the barriers that were outlined. So the first one was that not everyone can work remotely and it's about challenging the thinking about remote working versus flexible working. We need to obviously adjust our schedules and there could be a a hybrid model going forward. So that's the most likely model, I think, for a lot of organisations. The second barrier then is how to maintain culture. And I think we've seen that with a lot of organisations in this current climate that we have at the moment. So it's about being intentional, leveraging the time that you have and creating an effective meeting culture, both virtual and on site. We spoke about what the future might be like and the two phases that are likely to come up anytime pretty soon. I think there's a few countries that are a little bit ahead of Ireland at the moment. So maybe we can take our learnings from them. But the first phase is around recalibration back into the workspace. So that's people coming back into the office wearing masks and being socially distant. And eventually more and more people will be able to return to the office. And the second phase then is this new way of working and really having a think about what this is going to look like. Some of the key areas for consideration then is this idea of focused work leading to an increase in productivity. And that's about being really intentional about what it is that you want people to do. There's going to be a huge focus on collaboration, especially for those people who are in the office. And it's about leveraging technology. So can we use it more or can we use it better? Can we use it in a more effective way? It's about leveraging workspaces. So thinking it through what are the new workspaces going to look like in order to support collaboration? Innovation then, why are we doing things this way? Thinking about digitizing and thinking about new ways of working. Some of the competencies then that we need to think about as well and also the talent and it's about getting and keeping good people. Flexibility in the future is going to be a given you can potentially retain those who are going to retire by offering more flexible working. You can source beyond the geographic region. And we spoke about this concept of, this was kind of the introduction to it, the the concept of work-life fit. So it helps people to put their work and life together and manage it in a more effective way. We spoke about setting clear boundaries around work and life. We spoke about having a sense of shared leadership, so taking responsibility. Also, this idea of too much technology. So maybe take an inventory of the technology that you're using and a prioritization as well. So what are we using and what are we using it to do? So email being asynchronous versus synchronous conversations. So does your request require a rapid response or are you willing to wait? And it's about matching that tech to the communication need. Callie also highlighted the different types of people who kind of tend to fit better with these types of structures. So number one is the naturals and they can fit work and life together quite easily. And then you have other people who can learn how to manage it and they can kind of learn how to do it quite quickly as well. Number two, then they have no idea how to do it. And the managers then have no idea how to manage a remote team. But the good news is that they can be trained. Some of the individual competencies is to be a good coordinator with the team. And the team need to be trained to coordinate together to manage each other's expectations and they can recalibrate how they work as a team. 
a manager then needs to be a good manager, good at holding people accountable and good at being clear on priorities and giving clear guidance. They need to be able to motivate across different types of platforms, connect with people virtually and create moments of team camaraderie. Finally, then, we spoke a little bit more about this concept of fit. So we spoke about balance. And when Callie first started using that term, the CEOs that she was dealing with didn't like this concept of balance because what they were hearing was that she wanted the teams to work less. So really, she discovered it's about fitting work and life together. And I love this new term of work-life fit. And it's about honouring different people's realities. Work-life integration is the problem. It's not the solution. Some people want to integrate their work and their life together. Some people want to keep them separate. But it's about having those really, really clear boundaries. And this idea of balance, and she explained it very, very well. You only say you don't have balance. You can't get to a solution from a place of deficit. Thank you, as always, for staying listening this long. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. What is one thing that you will do differently as a result of listening to this podcast today? I'd love to know. Let me know on LinkedIn or across any of the social media. I would love to connect with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie.